here. I'm coming at you live from my office in Gorham. Um, unfortunately, we were not able to meet this week in our um, regular location because the heater was not working. It's about 40 degrees in uh, the room where we meet. Uh, so unfortunately, we had to cancel. But instead of just letting the message that I had prepared kind of go to waste, I, I decided I'd, I'd like to come and um, record the message this morning so we can have it on our website and have it on, on uh, Facebook and social media so people can, um, can hear um, what I had prepared. Um, so this, this Sunday, it is unfortunate we weren't able to meet because we were starting a new sermon series. We're going to take a, a little break from the book of Acts. And in the month of December, we're starting a sermon series focused on Jesus, uh, but not just Jesus. The name of the sermon series is called A Christmas Curtain Call. And the idea behind is that uh, we want to take this month to look at um, the people, the cast that make up this nativity story. Um, this week we're going to look at Joseph, but in the coming weeks we're going to also look at the wise men, the shepherds, Mary, and um, obviously Jesus himself. And so today we are in the book of Matthew chapter 1. Um, verses 18 to 25, and then also Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. What I'm going to do right now is just uh, read off these verses to us, and then we're going to jump in. And this is what it says, Matthew 1, verse uh, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Continuing to chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, this is Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then, what, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that 
uh, what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he will be called a Nazarene. My uh, grandfather on my dad's side, my, my father's father, his name was Claude Perry Manning. Uh, but growing up, we called him Papaw. That's sort of the, the southern word for grandfather. I know there's different words up here, but for us southerners, it's, it's Papaw. And that's what we called uh, my grandpa, Papaw. Mamma, my grandmother, and Papaw. And I, I love my grandfather. My grandfather was an amazing man. Uh, I remember growing up, um, whenever we would get off the school bus, me and my siblings, my cousins, we always got off at, at my grandparents' house to wait for our, our parents to come and pick us up. And Papaw would always have um, all types of the worst food possible for little kids. Um, sugary drinks, um, ice cream. I remember my favorite um, ice cream was this apple pie ice cream that he bought and um, this peach sort of knockoff generic brand, peach soda. Um, that I got all the time. Um, but that's just who he was. He always had fun with us, and he always provided this you know, sugary food that we wanted. Uh, anytime we spent the night over there, I would always wake up in the morning, and he'd have breakfast cooked. Eggs, bacon, um, sausage patties, and grits all the time. Grits. That's something we don't have up here is grits. Actually, just had some grits the other day uh, visiting some family um, down in Maryland. Uh, but he always had buttery, uh, salty grits. Um, and he, he always had a, a garden. And he was just, he was a good man. My grandfather was a good man. In fact, whenever he died, after he died on July 27th of 2007, uh, as the whole family was together, I remember my other grandfather, his name was Pappy, he was talking about Papaw, and that's exactly what he said, and it stuck with me. He said, your grandfather was a good man. He was a good man. Today, we're going to look at another man that I put in the same category as, think about in the same way as my grandfather. We're going to look at this man, Joseph, the father of Jesus, the earthly father of Jesus. What we're going to see today is that Joseph was a good man. He did the things that good men do. And today as we work through Matthew 1 and Matthew 2, we're going to see three specific things about Joseph that made him a good man. The first thing we see, the first thing we learned about Joseph is this. Joseph was a man of character. He was a man of character. Uh, namely, he was a man of mercy and a man of compassion. This is what it says in uh, verses 18 and 19. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. These two verses are important because they give us a little bit of context in the for the events preceding the birth of Jesus. Um, the first thing we understand, and it shouldn't be a surprise, but it probably will be because of our current context, um, the marriage between Mary and Joseph was an arranged marriage. This is very common. Um, in fact, for us in America to, or you know, Western society, to marry based on romance and love, it's kind of new on the scene. Um, typically, 
people married because their parents told them to get married or out of an alliance or an allegiance between um, you know, two different families, clans, nations, whatever. It, marriage for love and romance really is kind of a new thing. And so that's what we see with Mary and Joseph. They had a uh, an arranged marriage. And this word pops up. It's a word we don't use. It's kind of weird. The word is betrothed. It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. What is that word, betrothed or betrothal? Well, this word, that's what it means. Uh, Betrothal was a legal pledge of marriage between two individuals. It was more than an engagement. An engagement, obviously, is a is a big deal. It's a sort of a, I'm going to marry you, but there's there's no force or weight of law behind it. You can break off an engagement, and you know that's just how it is, and there's no recourse or there's no sort of um, you know lawsuit or anything behind that. In a betrothal, you are married in every way except the ceremony and the consummation of the marriage. In fact, to break off a betrothal, you have to legally divorce. That, that's, that's how sort of, it's like a souped up, it, it's, it's marriage minus those two things. That's what betrothal is. That's why it says whenever Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, he seeks to divorce her. It, it's a legal thing. The betrothal is it's much more weightier than an engagement, something that we're not, don't really have in our radar anymore. Um, and so, so what's going on here, because they're betrothed, and whenever Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, and he wasn't, you know, the guy that got her pregnant, um, there is cause for concern, to say the least. He is suspicious of her that she had committed adultery, or not even suspicious, she's pregnant, right? So... Her being pregnant seems that she had committed adultery against him um, because they were betrothed. They were basically married, and now she's pregnant. What gives? What's going on? Uh, Mary, on the outside of this, we know she isn't, but on the outside, it seems that she has cheated on Joseph, and that and that's how he perceives it, which, you know, is understandable. Um and you got to just feel for Mary in this situation. How is she going to explain this? Was she going to say it's not what it looks like? <laughs> right? There, there's no way. For the first time in human history, it really isn't what it looks like. But how is Joseph going to actually believe her? For the first time in human history, a virgin actually is pregnant. And so Joseph, in this situation, with a, a pregnant um, betrothed, or a pregnant wife, um, he has to he has to respond to that. He has to take the next step there. What is he going to do? And verse nineteen shows us what he does. And and it's in this situation that we see the type of character that this man Joseph has. This is what it says in verse nineteen. It says, "And her husband, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly." So Joseph, finding Mary pregnant, not sure what to do about it, responds in this way. The first thing it says is that he's a just man or a righteous man. 
So he was a man that that was seeking after God, that kept the commandments of God, that valued purity before God. And now he's in a situation with a woman that seems on the outside to have stepped out on him. So he's resolved to divorce her. Because he doesn't want to be in a relationship with someone that has cheated on him. He doesn't want to, and he has every right, if she had had truly committed adultery, to divorce her. He was a righteous man. He was a just man. He wanted to maintain his own dig- his own dignity, and he wanted to be joined with a woman that wanted to, to follow God with him. So that's the first bit. The second bit is this. It says that he was a just man, but unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. At the same time that he was just, he didn't want her to be put to shame. He didn't want her to walk around with a scarlet letter on her chest. He sought to divorce her quietly. Even though Mary appeared to be an adulteress, he still sought what was best for her. For her own sake, he did not want this to become public knowledge, what's going on. Not even for his own, for his sake. And we can understand why. If this truly had happened, this would be incredibly embarrassing and shameful. But all the more for Mary, especially at this time, would it be shameful. Truly like the Scarlet Letter, if you're familiar with the story by Nathaniel Hawthorne, that everyone would know that Mary had done this horrible thing to Joseph. He didn't want that. He didn't want her to be sort of under the public's gaze, under the public's eye. And so he sought to divorce her quietly. That, that tells us a lot about this man, Joseph. When you think about for yourself, can you imagine having this response if someone had cheated on you? If someone had stepped out on you, can you imagine responding in such a way that you still sought what was best for that person? No. No, that, that's not how we work, Right? Nowadays, we'd put this person on full blast on Facebook or social media or whatever. We'd let the whole world know that this person is a cheater. I can't help but think of that Carrie Underwood song. It's like old now. But the line is, maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. And if you know the song, it's about this girl that finds that her husband or boyfriend or whatever cheated on her. And so what does she do? She keys his car, right? (laughs) She, she takes vengeance. She, um, she stabs and cuts up his leather seats in his vehicle. She seeks to um, vindicate herself against this person that had wronged her in the, in the, in the song. In, in, in the face of betrayal, this girl avenges herself against her cheater. She seeks to triumph over her cheater. But... That is not what Joseph does. No, it's the exact opposite. In the face of this supposed betrayal, he chooses mercy. In the face of this adultery, as as he understands it, he chooses compassion. He chooses to show love, mercy, and compassion towards the person that it seems has stepped out on him. He was a man of character. To me... As I think about his response, this sounds an awful lot like Jesus. It sounds an awful lot like the son that this man is going to go on and father. Right? We think about Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus chose the way of mercy. Jesus chose the way of compassion. 
Jesus chose a way of love. He wasn't keying anyone's car. He wasn't cutting up anyone's leather seats, right? He chose the way of compassion and love even to an adulterous people because, to be honest, that is exactly what we are. What do I mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel is often described as an unfaithful bride to God. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer, but Hosea was a prophet of God, if you read the book of of Hosea. And God has Hosea marry a prostitute, and the prostitute's name is Gomer. And Gomer, time and time again, cheats on Hosea, is unfaithful to him, and is taken into slavery by these oppressors, these men that have sort of wooed her away from Hosea. And time and time again, Hosea has to go and buy Gomer out of slavery. And God is saying that that is what his relationship with Israel looks like. That Israel was called to be faithful to God and God alone. But time and time again, they worship foreign gods. They give themselves to foreign idols. Time and time again, Israel steps out on God and they commit spiritual adultery against him. They're unfaithful to him, but even in their unfaithfulness, God remains faithful to them. In the New Testament, this idea of spiritual adultery continues. The book of James, uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, he has this little line that kind of sticks out to me. This is what he says. He says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? He's addressing that to the church, us. We are the church. The church is the bride of Jesus. That's what it says in Ephesians 5. We are called to be faithful to Him, faithful to Him and Him alone. And yet we, often like Israel, bow the knee to foreign gods, to foreign idols. We, like Israel, oftentimes try to befriend the world and pursue the things of this world. We, like Israel, often run after approval, success, money, material possessions, vanity. We run after things that, in the grand scheme of things, don't matter. And we bow the knee to these things, and we commit spiritual adultery against God. That's what it says and against Jesus himself. And yet, just like how Joseph responds with mercy and compassion for Mary, so Jesus, in our spiritual adultery, whenever we turn from him and give ourselves to other fake, false idols, Jesus shows us mercy. Jesus shows us compassion. Jesus shows us love. He is still faithful to us, even whenever we are unfaithful to him. He will never leave us, nor will He forsake us. His father, Joseph, was a good man that exemplified compassion and mercy even even in the face of a supposed adulterer. And really, that's just a, a very tiny picture of what Jesus goes on to do for us on the cross. It's an amazing thing. Joseph is a good man because he was a man of character. That's what we see from him. The second thing we see from Joseph is that he was a spiritual leader. Joseph was a spiritual leader. We see that in verses 20 to 25. 
says this, uh, whenever Joseph um, was thinking about Mary having cheated on him as far as he understood it, verse 20 says this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So before Joseph goes through with the divorce, God quickly clears up the confusion by sending an angel to him. We know from the book of Luke that this angel is the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel comes and says, "Um, Joseph, don't worry. Mary has not cheated on you. The child that she has is the Messiah. The child that she has is conceived of the Holy Spirit. The child that she has is Jesus. The child that she has is the one that God had promised in the prophets so many centuries ago has now come. This is the child. This child is Emmanuel. And it's just an amazing thing that Joseph, that was revealed to Joseph in this dream. The book of Isaiah said that a a virgin will conceive, a virgin will conceive and bear a child, and his name will be called Emmanuel. The Old Testament told us that God was going to send a Savior to the world to save the world from their sins. The dividing wall between God and man was going to be broken down in this sent son, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the word Emmanuel means, because now in Jesus, God is with us. These amazing truths are all revealed to this man, Joseph, in a dream. And it's, it's incredible for me to think about this, because Joseph wasn't, he wasn't this amazing guy in that there was nothing special about him. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a ruler. He wasn't any of those things. And yet here, God is revealing to him in a dream things that angels long to look at. That's what it says in 1 Peter, that angels themselves in heaven, they're they're with God. They long to look at the truths of the gospel. They long to look at the things of Jesus. And now all of this is being revealed to this carpenter, this guy, Joseph, who isn't rich, not privileged, and yet he is learning the mysteries of the Messiah, things that people have been waiting centuries to see. And so having received this um, this revelation, how Joseph responds shows us the type of person he is. His response is this, verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, he knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph shows himself to be a spiritual leader in that whenever God speaks to him, he responds in faith and obedience. That's what it says. It says, when Joseph woke from the sleep, from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He didn't divorce Mary. He took her as his wife. 
He even abstained from relations with her until after Jesus was born. By this time, they were married. He had every right, right, as, as a husband to be with his wife. But he abstained from that. And finally, he named the baby Jesus as the angel told him to do. He was a spiritual leader. He heard from God and he responded. Why is this important? And why is this a good example to us? The reason is this. Being in ministry as a pastor, uh, one thing that I've noticed really quickly is that if a family comes to church, more often than not, it is the mother bringing the kids with the father attending sporadically or not at all. Often, most of the time, the mother is a spiritual leader for the family. That just seems to be how it is. A study done a number of years ago um, by this Swiss group, this, this group from Switzerland, um, they conducted a, a study to see what effect this would have on children, um, whether if the mom came, um, if the, the mom brought the family, did the kids still go to church? If the dad brought the family, did the kids still go to church? They wanted to see this dynamic, how it played out over the lifetime of the children. What they found is this. If a mother attended church weekly and brought her kids, 2 to 3% of the time, the children would grow up and attend church regularly as well. So 2 to 3% of the time, the kids would continue to go to church if their mom brought them to church. But if it was the father who attended regularly, if it was the father that, that brought the kids to church, then that number jumps up to 44%. 44% of the time, the kids will continue to go to church whenever they reach adulthood if the father takes them to church. That is an amazing jump. And that's nothing against the moms out there. God is gracious. There's a, my wife was a single parent. She, that's all. She just had herself, right? And she brought Abram to church. God gives grace there. But biblically, we understand it is the father who is called to be the spiritual leader of the household. It is the father that has that responsibility on him. Whenever, this is how I've understood it. If Jesus were to come to your door, knock on your door, he's asking for the dad. He's asking for the dad. That's who he wants to talk to because that is the one who has responsibility over everyone in the household. But the truth is, more often than not, the father is not the spiritual leader of the home. Men, we cannot neglect our God-given responsibility to lead our wives and to lead our children into a deeper and closer relationship with Jesus and his church. That's what Joseph did. He heard from God. He responded in faith and obedience. He led his family well. It is our responsibility to lead our family well. First our wives, then our children. Deuteronomy 6 Verses 6 to 9 is this famous passage after um, the Shema, which is that, that line that, um, that you're probably familiar with. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is like the, the root teaching of the Old Testament. Later on, after that verse, it, it talks about how you should incorporate 
the, God, the Word of God into your life. And it says that you should meditate on the Word of God whenever you rise up in the morning, whenever you go to sleep at night, that you should put the Word of God before you in your house and outside of your house, that you should teach it to your kids. Um, as you read that passage, what we see is that we pass on our faith to our children by incorporating our faith into the everyday stuff of life. The faith is not just a Sunday thing. I know that's what the numbers of that study kind of looked at. But the faith is an everyday thing. Following Jesus is an everyday thing. And we pass on the faith to our children by our faith being an everyday thing for us and leading our kids and our, and our wives and all those we have responsibility over every single day. And this can take whatever form it needs to take. Do you pray before you eat? Do you model prayer in the home? Do you pray before you travel? Oftentimes, if I was dropping Abram off to school, I would pray before I dropped him off to school. Just ask God really quickly to bless our day and bless uh, the things of the day. For our family, the major thing we do is we'll read a family devotional that are always gospel-centered devotionals. And it's not always easy. In fact, it's a madhouse. (laughs) Two little kids... Then Abram, 10, Ellie wants to get on the bed with Abe. Abe doesn't like her on the bed. Fighting ensues. Hannah's had a long day. It's not easy, but it's important. Now we have Abram read the stories out loud to us. He's much more engaged. Um, we finish with prayer. That is so important. And, and, and I don't say this as someone who's mastered this. I, I am not the greatest here. I can do much better, especially praying with my wife. I can do a lot better praying with my wife. And so that's on me. Joseph is an example of what a spiritual leader in the house looks like. We are called to be spiritual leaders as men, as fathers, as husbands, to lead our families well. That's what we learn from Joseph here in chapter 1 of Matthew. He was a spiritual leader. And then the last thing we learn from Joseph is this. Joseph was a protector and a provider. Joseph was a protector and a provider. And this is from Matthew 2, verses 13 to 23. This is after Jesus is born, and now they're trying to to get out of um, the area. It says this in verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The angel said this, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all that region who were two years or, or oh, two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken of the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. You might not realize this, but Jesus was born into a time of infanticide, that is the killing of infants. In fact, it was the birth of Jesus that set off this infanticide. Whenever Christ was born, there was a king. His name was Herod. Herod was a truly terrible guy. And we're going to learn more about Herod 
next week, next Sunday. But what we see with Herod here is that he was afraid Jesus, this this Messiah that has come, supposedly come, he was afraid that he was going to come and take his throne, that he was going to sort of kick Herod out and, and usurp his throne. And, and so Herod's response was to go into Bethlehem and all the surrounding area and to kill all the baby boys two years and under. Just a terrible thing. That's how bloodthirsty this man was. And so in the face of this threat, literally a king coming for you, an angel appears to Joseph twice, not once, but twice, first warning him to leave Bethlehem into Egypt, and then telling him the coast is clear and they can come out of Egypt and back to Israel where they will be safe. And so what we see in this moving and going and this threat and all this is that Scripture is fulfilled. God said that His Messiah would come out of Egypt. We understand that that's also a reference to Israel. Israel is the son of considered it's called Israel's called the son of God in the Old Testament Israel is brought out of Egypt and now the true son of God is brought out of Egypt whenever it, um, is, uh, Jesus and his family comes out of Egypt whenever the coast is clear the Bible told us that during the time of the Messiah there would be infanticide and we see that happening the Bible Old Testament tells us that the Messiah would be um, in Nazareth and that is exactly what we see here in this course of events. Now, if I'm Joseph and this is happening, I've got to be thinking that I did not sign up for this, right? I mean, this isn't even my kid, right? I mean, that, that's what, like, that, that'd probably be in my flesh when I was thinking, this kid isn't even mine, not even my flesh and blood. I didn't sign up for any of this. And now he's running from a king who has all the power and resources in the world to catch him and kill him. He's immigrating to a foreign country, the country of Egypt. He doesn't speak their language. He doesn't know their customs. He's a foreigner. He's an Israelite. The Israelites and the Egyptians don't really have that great of a history, if you know the history. He's hiding out for years until he can return home. And then he can't even return home. He has to go to this new area in Galilee, Nazareth. I mean, that's a big ask right? From God to this man, Joseph. But through it all, that's why I'm just so appreciative of Joseph. What we see is that he steps up to the plate. Joseph steps up to the plate and he protects and provides this infant baby Jesus and Mary, his mother. This is an amazing thing that Joseph does. He steps up to the plate and protects and provides for his family. Now, I know that God is in control of all things. Nothing's going to happen outside of God's control. But that God would entrust His infant Son, the Savior of the world, to this no-name guy, this carpenter. Joseph doesn't even speak. We don't hear Joseph say a word in the Bible. This guy who is on the run to different countries and then comes back to Nazareth, that God would entrust the Savior of the world to this guy. It's an amazing thing. It tells us a lot about this man, Joseph. And I just want to quickly hit that point I made here. We never hear Joseph say a word in the Bible. No, we only see him do what he was told to do. 
Every single time God speaks to him in a dream through an angel, he does what God tells him to do. He protected and provided those who were entrusted to him. That's what a husband and a father does. A husband and a father protects and provides for his family. We as husbands and fathers are second to the well-being of our families. We have to look at the example of Joseph here. The truth is we're never going to have to go through what Joseph went through. We're not going to be on the run. We're not going to have to immigrate. But there are a lot of fathers and husbands that, that do that all the time with the way this world is. And yet we are still called to protect, to provide, to think of ourselves last as we place the well-being of our families first. It is a very high calling to be a father. It's a very high calling to be a husband. And I wonder how often we fail to meet that calling or we think of it as less of a calling than it actually is. Joseph stepped up to the plate. He protected and provided for his family. And again, as I think about this, I can't help to draw a comparison to this son, this Jesus that he was protecting. Just as Joseph protected and provided for Christ now, Christ would go on to protect and provide for him later. And not only protect and provide for Joseph, but protect and provide for the entire world. How is that? In Jesus... We are protected from the wrath of God against sin. The Bible says that God is a holy God, that we are a sinful people. Ephesians 2, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, by nature children of wrath. That God's wrath is justly sort of pointed towards us. And that's not fun to say, but that's what the Bible says. That God's wrath is justly pointed at us. But Jesus on the cross protects us from the wrath of God in that when he died on the cross, he took the wrath of God that was pointed at us and directed it to himself and bore the wrath on his body. It wasn't the nails that did Jesus in. It was the wrath of God. In Christ, we are protected from his wrath poured on his body on the cross, Jesus, the protector of the world. But not only the protector, but also the provider. In Jesus, we are all provided the righteousness that we need to be made right with God. We are not righteous in and of ourselves. We need someone us to give us right standing with God. We need someone else's perfection. We need someone else's right living, right standing with God. The issue is no one has lived a right life. No one has lived a perfect life except for Jesus. And it is Jesus' righteousness. It is Jesus' right standing with God that he has provided for us, that he has given to us. We are reconciled with God by a righteousness not our own. It's called an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of us that Christ has provided to us. Given that we repent of our sins and place our faith in him, we are not righteous, but Christ was righteous for us and has given us this right standing with God that we enjoy. It's all a gift. It's all of grace. 
Jesus is both provider and protector for all of man, Joseph and everyone else, accomplishing this on the cross. Able to be, able to be this because he was both protected and provided for by his earthly father, Joseph. It's an amazing thing. This man, Joseph, sort of giving us hints to the man that this Jesus would be, this son of God, protector and provider. Joseph was a good man. I think that's what we see as we wrap up here. He was a good man. He was a man of character. He showed compassion. He showed mercy to people that didn't deserve it. He was a spiritual leader. He led his family according to God's word to him. He heard the word of God and he responded. He was a protector and he was a provider for his family, putting them first, enduring great stress, great danger, great pain for the sake of his family. As we enter this Christmas season, let's consider this man Joseph. And let's thank God for the good man that he was. And let's thank God for the good husbands and the good fathers and the good men around us. And ultimately, let's thank God for his good son, Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate protector, the ultimate provider, and we understand the ultimate savior of the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I uh, just want to thank you for this time to, albeit through a different medium, um, preach your word, speak your word, bring your word to people that need to hear it. I thank you for Joseph and the picture of um, of what it means to be a good man and and um, you know manhood and and. The idea of being a man, I think, has really come under storm today. I don't know if men know what it means to be a man anymore. Um, But Joseph was. He was a spiritual leader. He was a provider. He was a protector. And Lord, he was a compassionate man of character. And I pray that we could learn from his example and see how his example really just points us even more to Jesus, who was the ultimate example, Lord. I just want to pray over the men of our church and the families in our church that they would be the husbands and fathers that they are called to be, loving and leading their family closer to Jesus, Lord. I pray we would all lean into him this Christmas season, not forget the reason for the season, Lord, and be rejuvenated to speak his word and his message of grace to this world, Lord. I thank you for today, this time to pray to you and to preach your word. And it's all in the name of Christ that I pray these things. Amen.